Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Vitalist Spark podcast. We have a great new episode for you today. But before we dive in, we have an exciting announcement for you nonprofit leaders out there. If you've ever wondered whether your nonprofit might be able to partner with Vitalist, maybe you're curious about funding opportunities, or you just want to talk with Vitalist staff about your organization or an idea that could improve community health, well, you're in luck. Vitalist has recently launched a new online portal to guide you through the many partnership opportunities available through Vitalist Health Foundation. This discovery process, as it's known, helps connect nonprofits and organizational leaders to the most appropriate resources to ensure your success improves health outcomes where the needs are highest. Just go to www.vitalisthealth.org slash partnering dash with dash vitalist to learn more. Now, on to our show. Today, we're joined by Justin Chase, President and CEO of Solari Crisis and Human Services. As you'll hear from Justin, Solari, formerly known as Crisis Response Network, provides an array of important resources to individuals experiencing challenging times. These challenges could range from a mother needing to find the closest food bank to finding a safe place for your loved one who's experiencing a bipolar episode. Solari even works with 911 dispatch units to refer mental health calls to appropriate levels of care. At its core, Solari is a connector. They improve community health by improving connections between people during some of life's most difficult periods. Solari's mission is simple, inspiring hope. And after hearing from Justin, it's easy to see exactly what that means. We hope you enjoy. We're thrilled to have the president and CEO, Justin Chase, with Solari Crisis and Human Services today. Justin, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you. Thanks so much for being here. So let's start off pretty basic. Can you just tell us about yourself? a little bit about your career and what brought you to work with Solari in the first place. Yeah. So I'm a social worker by trade. So I always had a passion to, I wanted to help people however I could. So I started as a clinician, worked in child welfare with the Department of Child Safety. Then I worked as a paraprofessional helping out individuals with a serious mental illness and substance use challenges. And just had a heart for that. But I also learned early in my career that there are a lot of challenges and opportunities when it comes to administration and policy. A lot of folks in upper administration were great clinicians, but not necessarily passionate about the business side. So I focused my graduate work on administration, policy, and community organizing. And went through that process and came on the other side, really passionate about macro level support of individuals in need. So from the behavioral health side of mental health, substance use, suicide prevention, and then human services around addressing challenges of, of homelessness and food insecurities and other areas. So I spent time with the regional behavioral health authorities working with on the crisis side, as well as adult providers for behavioral health services. I got to spend time with the state of the Department of Health Services overseeing the adult network operations. And that's where I really had the opportunity to partner with the governor's office, the state legislature to 
tackle crisis services as a as a need at, at the time of the recession was was heavy crisis services were being cut at the state level and i had to come in and, and make a case for why crisis services were important to the state and what the future of crisis care should look like so in the wake of that i then transitioned to a managed care with the regional behavioral health authority to implement the crisis service system and then the opportunity arose to come on board with Solar to help lead this organization that I've been involved with from a contractual management and a regulatory level to really be closer to the day-to-day -day action of, of being able to support individuals. And I've been here for eight years in this role and I loved every minute of it. During the recession, you had alluded to some of your work when you started working in kind of administration and on policy efforts. Can you paint a picture on what Arizona's crisis system used to look like, you know, a decade plus ago? So going back pre-recession, the crisis system was pretty fat financially. We had a lot going on, but we had a heavy use of based services, a lot of inpatient utilization for individuals going into psychiatric hospital placements. And we were like a $40 million state allocation appropriation for crisis care that came out of the state budget in addition to the Medicaid funding that was tapped into. And the legislature came in and, and eliminated a large benefit that included the crisis services, the state portion of the crisis services, which was critical core to support individuals regardless of payer source. So we were able to secure and transition that through heavy advocacy and, and, and system redesign to now it has appropriation from the state level to $16.3 million. Let me get it straight though. So it went from 40 million and now it's at 16 million. Correct. Accurate. Okay. Still room to grow, or do you think that the 16 million mark is about appropriate for this modern era? You know, I, I think the, the 16.3 was appropriate and we were able to work within it at the time. The population in the state of Arizona continues to grow. Yeah. And, and so I think we need to revisit what that dollar value is more proportionate to the population size between 2008 to where we are in 2022. Yeah. But I think the, the general concepts there, and really we were able to make cuts was reducing unnecessary inpatient bed utilization, starting to serve individuals more upstream, engage them earlier on in a crisis situation and event to prevent avoidable care and keep them in their home, in the community, with their natural support system whenever possible. That's actually a nice bridge to talking about Solari. So tell us about the organization and what its mission and kind of purpose is in the state of Arizona. Yeah, so Solari was founded in 2007. We're actually celebrating our 15th year this year. I'm very excited for that. We've had just been blessed as an organization to be able to support individuals struggling with life stressors that, that are reaching that crisis component and crisis point. So we provide the crisis hotline, mobile crisis dispatch, and crisis transportation coordination throughout the state. We currently support Central and Northern Arizona. And October 1st, we'll actually assume responsibility for the entire state of Arizona for crisis phones and dispatch coordination. The, the realm of what we're really responsible for and in coordination and partnership with, with a number of excellent community providers is engaging individuals in the community at the earliest point of experiencing emotional distress, 
trauma or however this individual may define a crisis situation, engage them early and, and do whatever we can to keep them in the community at all possible. In addition to that, we operate the statewide 211, which is our information and referral system, as well as the homeless management information system, which is doing data collection and analytics related to individuals through HUD funded homeless support and prevention efforts. And so the intent there is to engage folks earlier on before they reach a emotional crisis to address a, a life stressor that, that can be a precursor to that. And again, we want to engage folks as early as possible, providing their supports because so many behavioral health crises situations have their roots in an unmet social or, or human service need. And the organization went through a rebranding, a name change just a couple of years ago. Do you want to talk about kind of what the thought was behind that to get to Solari Crisis and Human Services? Yeah. Exciting times, scary times, anytime you go through a rebrand. Founded as the Crisis Response Network in 2007. As the organization has evolved and really worked on upstreaming and engaging folks before they reach a crisis, we felt it was necessary to transition the organizational brand to reflect more holistic approach to care. And so as we're doing more on the human services side and social service side, we felt it was necessary to pivot to, to encapsulate more of our catchments. So we have our community support network division and then our crisis response network division all falls under the Solari Crisis and Human Services organization with a simple mission of inspiring hope. We don't think it needs to be more complicated than that. And everybody that works within the organization can identify what inspiring hope means for them and their contribution. So full disclosure, I have the privilege of serving on the board of Solari Crisis and Human Services with Justin. And one of the things that I really appreciate that the team at Solari does is every single one of our board meetings and in many community meetings also, they kick off the meeting with a mission moment. Justin, you do this regularly. Are there any mission moments that stand out to you that you think our audience would really be interested in hearing about that kind of paint a good picture of, of what you're all about? Oh, I have my favorite. It was one of my earliest ones. Okay. So bear with me. So I, I've been in the organization maybe three months. And I'm sitting in my office one day, an older gentleman walks in, he's got tears in his eyes with a wrinkled up letter envelope and hands it to our receptionist and walks out. A few minutes later, a receptionist comes over and says, this gentleman left a, a letter here addressed to a staff member that doesn't work here anymore. What should we do with it? Let's see what it's about and see how he responded to this situation. So I opened the letter and... It opens up with today is the one year anniversary of my daughter's death by suicide. I immediately, my heart sinks, man, this is not going to be a good letter. The individual goes on to talk about his daughter's lifelong struggle with mental health challenges, struggling with homelessness, substance use, and that there was a day, two years before her death, that she called the crisis line and the warm line a number of times and utilized those services. But this day she was ready to end her life. The family was with her. They called the crisis line. They spoke to this employee and said, whatever you said that day clicked with our daughter. And though she ultimately succumbed to suicide and, and loss of life, that conversation gave them the best two years that they'd ever had with their daughter. And he wanted to thank the organization and thank this employee in particular to being able to connect with her on a level. And he was just grateful that they got two good years 
with their daughter. And that just summed it up of, of impact and change, inspiring hope, living the mission. So we're able to engage with that employee and let them know that we've gotten, that they delivered something really powerful. The calls are hard that our staff take each and every day. And similar to a 911 dispatcher, most of the time our staff don't get to hear what happens after they hang up the call from there. They, they do their best, they hope for the best. And so it's, it's a, a blessing to be able to have these moments where it comes back and, and we're able to, to share positive experiences that individuals have. So, but that's the one that sticks out for me. really touching story. And I think it, it also shows the level of talent and skill sets that are embedded within the staff at Solari. So can we, can we keep going down that road? Let's, let's talk a little bit about the staff at the organization. If I'm somebody in the community and I'm having a mental health crisis and I decide to, to call up Solari and, and, or the crisis line to get help, who are these individuals that I'm talking to and what sorts of experiences or qualifications do they bring with them to, to have that conversation? The staff on the front line at Solari are superheroes. They are the most incredible, passionate, talented individuals that they lose one of their senses when they're talking with somebody on the phone. They're not able to see them and engage with them physically. So they have to rely on formal and informal cues on individual callers. So individual calls the crisis line the call is going to pick up live answered. Uh, there's no voicemail. There's no automated system. You're going to get a real person on the other end based right here in Arizona. And they're going to come with a, an experience of working in the behavioral health, mental health or substance use field, a bachelor's degree. Many are having a, have a master's degree or in pursuit of a master's degree in social work, counseling, marriage and family therapy, and extensive training. And, and we, we take that very serious. These calls are critical in, in bringing that experience forward. Many of our staff have lived experience of their own, and they have their own experience with they themselves or a loved one and struggling with, with behavioral health challenges and bring that life experience to, to the table as well as they engage with folks. So. And you had mentioned in your prior statement about a, a warm line. Can you talk a little bit more about what, is there a differentiation between the crisis line and a warm line? Yeah, so you think of the crisis line as a hotline, and, and so the crisis line is really geared towards a clinical intervention to address an immediate need, and so a very solution-oriented, driven, how do we address the immediate situation. The warm line is geared for supporting individuals that may not be in an active crisis, but need, need somebody to talk to. They may be in a, what we consider kind of a pre-crisis phase. If they don't connect with somebody, they may reach a crisis or they've recently had a crisis and are, are wanting to talk with somebody through, through that experience. And so it's fully staffed with state certified peer support specialists, individuals with lived experience. Many of our staff have been through the public behavioral health system in Arizona themselves or may currently receive services and are able to draw on that experience and, and meet people with compassion, engaging with them every single day. So it's, so it's a different lens. It's been around this phone number for the, the warm line has been in existence since the 60s. Uh, Solari is just thankful for the opportunity to, to serve, to continue operating that phone number after so many years. And currently supported through Mercy Care is a great partner, a health plan organization that helps support and keep the warm line going. 
I had no idea that the warm line was that that old that had that long of a history. And I, it's important to mention too, because I don't, maybe it's only my own perception, but I feel like when we in general talk about mental and behavioral health, the knee-jerk reaction is to envision the person who's going through a crisis. That's a very real thing, but likely for the majority of us, this thing doesn't just all of a sudden manifest, it builds up over time. And so whether you're struggling with things like depression or certain types of mood disorders, but you're not in that crisis yet, it's important to make sure people know that there's, there's, a, there's a resource that's still available for them. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's, it's a critical part of our service continuum, not always thought of as a, a crisis intervention, but it's a huge preventative measure. We hear from our callers daily that, that having the warm line available to them keeps them out of crisis and, and keeps them alive, keeps them going. So they find it motivating. Okay. So we've touched on the warm line. We've talked about the crisis line. In the news in the last couple of months, we've heard a lot about this 988 suicide and crisis lifeline. And I know Solari plays a major role in that new 988 number in Arizona. For those of our audience who have not heard about 988, can you give a quick overview on what this is and what Solari's role is within it? Absolutely. This is probably the watershed moment of my career in crisis care. So July 16th of 2022, the historical National Suicide Prevention Lifeline transitioned from a 10-digit phone number to this three-digit 988 that is now the Suicide and Crisis Lifeline. 24-hour access, no matter where you are in the United States or U.S. territory, you've got access to calls, texts, and chats to reach a trained clinician to address any, any sort of emotional distress that individuals or loved ones may be experiencing. So Solari is serving in this role. We work in partnership with Empath La Frontera. Between our two organizations, we field all the 988 calls for the state of Arizona. So that rolled out in the middle of July. So just, just about a month ago, actually, from when mm -hmm. we're recording this, this conversation. How has it gone so far? Do we have any indication on, are more people using it? Does the word seem to be getting out? Are people still dialing the old number or has everything smoothly transitioned over to the new three-digit number? You know, the anticipation for the go-live has been scary, unknown of what volume is going to look like. And now we're on the other side of it. We were ready. That's the, the volume is, is up. We were prepared for it to be up. Like the first week we were up 30 to 33% of additional calls wow. than what uh, was before the 988 go-live, but we were staffed and ready to, to be able to field those calls. So from a caller experience perspective, there, there was no difference. The numbers tapered off. We had a lot of folks that were kind of testing the line. They heard about 988, wanted to call and see what it was all about. So the numbers kind of tapered off, but we're anticipating as we're starting to see is a steady, slow increase of calls over time. And we think that's going to continue to grow. It's still split between using the old number and, and dialing 988. So we're about 50-50 of the calls coming in on the old number. That one's never going to go dark. If that's what's programmed in your phone, welcome to keep using the 800 number. But the 988 is going to continue to, to grow in popularity. Zona's got a marketing strategy under development. You're going to see 988 really get pushed out from a promotional basis in partnership with Access and the Department of Health Services in 2023. Going to get 988 underway, make sure all the kinks are kind of worked out of it, and then you'll see a much larger promotion of that next year.
Okay, so that that's the 988 line. I also want to touch on when it comes to crisis care, obviously that's a critical component that needs to be addressed. Most people, when they think about having an emergency, there's a different three-digit number that they call up. Whether that emergency is for physical health or for their own safety or for their mental well-being. And that number is 911. But police officers often are not trained to address mental health crises. So can you talk about some of the work that Solari is doing? And, and my understanding, and granted I'm biased because I'm on the board, but my understanding, and actually this is confirmed by some national partners, is that Arizona's leading the way in many ways in this area to, to try to work with local law enforcement agencies to address mental and behavioral health crises. So can you talk about Solari's role in that area? Absolutely. Near and dear to my heart and the leadership of the organization is how do we support individuals in need in the best way possible? And we really view the 988 and the crisis line and the crisis continuum, mobile crisis and facility-based are part of the public safety net. And it, as working collaboratively with, with 911, with law enforcement, with EMS and fire support, we want to be right alongside them in that, ensuring that the best response shows up on scene or addresses the the individual's needs over the phone or where they go is a critical support. So for many years, Arizona has been a front runner in crisis intervention team training, the CIT program, training officers throughout the state on how to address mental health and substance use challenges. And that's a great tool and a great resource, but we're really taking it up a notch. And how do we engage folks so the officers are never on scene to begin with if it's avoidable? And that really starts at the 911 dispatch level. And so we've teamed up with a number of, of 911 dispatch centers, the city of Phoenix, city of Mesa. We have collaboration and partnerships with Chandler and then a number of rural communities that we're supporting and creating partnerships with. And then Tucson has had an exceptional partnership and co-location project for a number of years as well. And we're, we're excited to continue that partnership coming in October. And uh, so we're, we're physically placing a, a staff member in the 911 dispatch center to help coach, lead, and inform 911 dispatchers of what is an appropriate call that can move to the crisis line. Historically, 911 is an easy to remember number. A lot of times individuals are calling 911 in an emergency, not necessarily specific around whether it's a, a mental health challenge, a substance use, or, or a public safety situation. They just know they need help. And so being able for us to work collaboratively to sort that out and, and help ensure people get connected to the right care in the right way. Is, is is really critical and so been a great partnership we're averaging nearly 2,000 calls per month are moving from 911 over to the crisis line and we're seeing fewer than 100 calls going from the crisis line over to 911 and so we, we're we're seeing a great collaborative partnership and relationship there almost 800 times a month law enforcement officer in the community is calling the crisis line in partnership to get information coordinate a mobile team to be brought out on scene and a number of law enforcement that are doing drop-offs at stabilization facilities is very high. And so we're seeing this continued collaboration at every level of first responder engagement to be part of that public safety net. It's, it's really exciting. And I imagine that the first responders are kind of happy to have additional resources at their fingertips. that They're no longer expected to be forced to deal with things that they're not trained to deal with, essentially. Can you talk about some of the cultural shift that's going on in order to make those new partnerships happen? 
I know that in the world of fire, a lot of firefighters didn't get into the business of fighting fires so that they could address mental health issues. And so getting let's put out the fire type culture to transition to more of a let's figure out what's happened to this person and get them the help that they need is sometimes a challenge. Absolutely. We've always seen a confluence of circumstances coming together at the same time. You have significant workforce challenges across the country in every industry, but first responders are being hit exceptionally hard. You have the social justice movements that are coming in that are raising awareness and causing departments to rethink how they're doing policing and and how do they meet the needs of the community. At the same time, we have 988 rolling out where we're tackling stigma and parity when it comes to healthcare service delivery. And so I think all these pieces coming together created this perfect storm of, of let's have conversations around how we ensure that law enforcement are maximizing their resources to be, respond to the calls they're most equipped and prepared to do, have a behavioral health system and a crisis system that can take the load off of avoidable engagement that, that can be handled without the need for, for a first responder to be on scene. And then how do we collaborate together to ensure that both are supporting? We're not buying for the same clients or situations or individual in need. This is a support system and, and being able to have those handoffs. Part of that's to make sure that we're not, not, we're not getting a call from 911, us going out on scene where, where a dispatch is taking place, and then 911 has to show up. Law enforcement has to come at a later point. Right. So we have a lot of checks and balances that exist within the system. Our funders do a great job at collecting data. We know every first responder call that comes in, who we engaged with, what the disposition of that interaction was. And we analyze that to ensure that that we're providing the best possible care and the best possible response to meet the individual's needs in the most appropriate way. So it dawns on me, you have a lot of data coming into Solari. Traditionally, in public health and community health, we get data because local health departments and state health departments publish reports on what the community's needs are every year, sometimes every two or three years, but it's always looking in the past. But it sounds like you have real-time data flowing into you about community needs every single second of every single day, potentially. And if that's the case, then I'm curious what you've seen over the past two plus years with the pandemic Are there certain service lines that you've seen increase or decrease, or are there certain levels of acuity within those services that you've seen change over that time period as well? Yeah, Marcus, it's a great question. We do have access to real-time data and and information, so we're really able to trend and see what has happened the past two plus years as, as as we're fielding through the pandemic. We saw initially a dip in crisis calls as the macro number came down. But what it really turned out being is as schools closed at the, during the school year, that's 30 to 40% of our volume is coming from schools. And so we saw a dip because of schools, but then we saw a, a, a marked increase in new callers to the crisis lines. So when you look at that net number, it may look down a little bit, but we had eight to 10,000 new callers per month that had never engaged with the crisis line in the past, kind of supplementing the, the, the loss from the schools. And so that, that created a lot of concerns as well. We had concerns around child abuse not being able to be captured because we're not engaging with the, because the schools are closed. What are we dealing with domestic violence circumstances and situations where we have a history of collecting that information? So people isolating 
and kind of being cut off and, and how do we support them and engage them. So rates of depression kind of dropped and suicide risk dropped initially when the pandemic hit. We saw really big spikes in anxiety levels and concerns related to medical, understandably, of trying to, to, to understand the impact of a lot of the new information that was coming out every day on what the pandemic is about. And then really when we hit the two-year mark, we started to see a shift back to kind of pre-pandemic levels where depression rates were coming back up, anxiety was dropping down, and then the suicide risk factors and thoughts of suicide were, were coming back to prior pre-pandemic levels. So the risks were were there, but it, you know, a lot of fear. And when that lives and, and kind of percolates for a long period of time, that's where crisis can happen. And there's research about this almost camaraderie that's developed in the wake of a disaster or a tragedy that takes place. And the pandemic was an elongated disaster, really. And, and so you, you get the sense of camaraderie. So you do tend to see a drop in suicide risk and depression risk because people feel connected to one another collectively. But as that is worn off, the research shows that starts to return to pre-pandemic distribution, but the call volume in general is, is higher. We don't see, what we're not seeing is the seasonality that we historically have seen. The numbers are more flat month over month. We see a small dip in the summer. We're experiencing it right now because schools are, have been out for the summer, but now that they're coming back into session, we're seeing those numbers creep back up again. They just never bottomed out the way that they had historically. So two observations. One is the trend in schools. When school gets out, call volume goes down. It shows in part, and this is my interpretation, it shows in part how important it is to get these phone numbers and Solari and any sort of resource into longstanding institutions. And once those institutions stop for whatever reason, even if temporarily, the demand seemingly drops, but really the demand is probably still there. And so in order to potentially keep that level of demand up for Solari services, that would mean like getting into individuals' homes, doing more direct marketing and outreach in addition to the institutions that normally, it seems like is where, where the word gets out about this sort of resource. Is that accurate? Absolutely. You know, we're seeing tons of progress and efforts being made. You know, over the past few years, we're seeing school districts expand where they're putting the team lifeline on the back of ID cards for students. And I, I just saw my, my two oldest kids are in high school and they came home and, and their badges have 988 and the team lifeline on the back of every single child's badge. And that's something that comes with home with them at night, stays with them over the summer. So being able to have that information accessible right on their ID badge to know that there's, there's hope and there's help if you reach a point of need. And I, I guess that also goes to show how important it is that this 988 number gets out to be as readily understood as the 911 number is because... We, we don't rely on others to call 911 or institutions to know that they need to call 911. It's just kind of embedded that everybody knows if there's an emergency, call 911. So at some point, ideally, it sounds like the goal is to get to a point where everybody just knows that if you see it, if someone's having a mental health crisis or if you're struggling, 988 is the number to call. And from there, you can be connected to the right help whenever you need it. Absolutely. Absolutely. The other observation I had, I was recently speaking with a leader of a local healthcare company, and they were saying that, you know, they, it was actually a health insurance company and they get claims data, which in their eyes is pretty much real time information about what community needs could be arising. And they kind of 
they don't use it for predictive analytics, but they can look at trends from their claims to see like is something happening in a certain area. Maybe it's environmental based or something of the sort. But based off what you said, the data coming into Solaria is probably pre-claim data, that this is potentially the earliest sign of something in the aggregate that we could see from a bird's eye view, that Solari has the capability, and I'm not saying that we're doing predictive analytics at Solari, but you could theoretically identify trends in certain areas even faster than health insurance companies can identify trends through their claims. I'll say yes and. Thankfully, our data collection and the way that we disperse the data is on a daily basis. So every morning between 6 and 8 a.m., a report goes out, and every health insurance company that supports Medicaid members receives a report from us of their membership from the previous who called, why they called, and the disposition of that call. And so they're then able to engage in follow-up care and support. Every outpatient provider that has an ongoing treatment relationships with, with a member that interacted with us also gets that data every day. So it doesn't live in a vacuum at Solari. It is brought out and shared in addition to our macro level reports that go all the way to the governor's office every month. And so, but we are able to, to see data working collaboratively with the health plans, with access and the health information exchange at Contexture to really expand the data analytics components. I think we can drill into this deeper. It's one thing to collect and have the data. It's another thing to have the resources and the capabilities to deep dive in, in, into this from the analytics perspective. And so we have a great analytics team, but man, there's rich sources of data that we can provide that really can be drilled down even further. Solari recently expanded its services beyond the state of Arizona. This podcast, Vitalist Health Foundation, we are focused on the state of Arizona, but I do think that it's worth noting that Solari has grown even beyond the boundaries of this state. So what's, what's behind the move to go into other states and kind of what does that suggest about the, the future of, of the organization? Yeah, you know, Solari was created and born here in Arizona. Now, Arizona continues to be our flagship operation and, and where we've seen our success. But we have expanded. We are operating the 988 statewide line for the state of Oklahoma. That went live July 5th. And grateful for that opportunity. We've grown out with some of our technology infrastructure and some consulting services into other states, but the opportunity really arose for us to be able to carry our mission forward as an organization and really be able to expand into other areas where gaps may exist and we may be a good fit to bring what we found so successful in the state of Arizona and adapt it to the local and regional needs of, of a new location and, and bring that to, to fruition. So we're thrilled for that opportunity. But to me, it's a, it's a huge testament to the success in Arizona. We are a small part of a large continuum of crisis care that blesses an organization to be able to provide and serve Arizonans. And we look forward to the continuing to serve in Oklahoma and, and, and what's other opportunities come beyond that. So, yeah, it definitely seems like it's, it's proof of the success of Solari and previously crisis response network and everybody around the organization that's helped to kind of make this a national example. And one of the greatest compliments you can get is when your peers in other States say you're doing a really great job and we'd love to have your services here as well. Absolutely. So coming back to Arizona, when you look at our mental health system as a whole, 
we have a lot of strengths, but there's still a lot of areas for opportunity. Where do you hope the system goes in the next, let's say, five years to address some of the gaps that we're currently seeing? There are so many successes for us to celebrate in the state when it comes to supporting behavioral health needs. I think it's the upstream engagement and identifying issues earlier on is, is where our biggest gaps lie. The, the housing situation right now and individuals struggling with basic needs that have compounding effects that, that really take a toll on, on one's uh, mental health is shelter, food, safety, security. And how do we support that? And, and we're seeing a lot of progress. We're seeing a lot of healthcare moving into housing supports. And I think that needs to continue to grow exponentially as we're seeing the housing crisis take place. And so a lot of good work is happening there. So I don't want to discount that, there, that it's not taking place, but a lot of opportunities to grow as it comes to social determinants of health and engaging folks earlier on in their care. Secondarily, I think follow-up, engaging folks that are going through a crisis or staying in a, you know, an inpatient admission, being able to connect them back to the community and re-engage them in the community. Again, that's a, one of those areas where folks can fall through the cracks and we want to minimize that. Our biggest challenge, hands down right now, is, is workforce. Across industries, we're seeing it, but the behavioral health community is, is really experiencing workforce challenges. A lot of work's being done around that. Federal government's come in to support. State has come in and, and supporting workforce opportunities to enhance and, and make it an enticing industry to move into for folks that could really bring a passion and a heart to serving most vulnerable individuals in the community. We ask this on every podcast, magic wand question. You have a magic wand, you can use it one time. Ooh. What do you use it for? My one way, my one wish that's not compound is that mental health challenges are treated, get the respect, and we tackle the stigma as well as we do primary care. That would be my wish. It would be treated the same way, whether you're struggling with bipolar disorder or you're struggling with a cancer diagnosis, you get the same respect and treatment experience regardless. Last call. What's the one thing that you would like our audience to remember about this conversation or what else does our audience need to know that we haven't covered today? Resources are there. Services are there. Solari is here. There's hope. There is help. Day in and day out, we hear folks that wish that they would have known that crisis services were available earlier on. And, and I can just use public's help to continue to get the word out that these resources are available. Where do people go to, to find out more about Solari or the various numbers and these other lifelines that they can get a hold of if they need them? Yeah, the easiest way is our website, solari-inc.org to get connected with us. We're on social media. So hunt us down. I hear TikTok's coming. Not sure how keen I am yet on, on, on doing a dance, but we're, we're looking forward to other opportunities there. Justin Chase of Solari Crisis and Human Services, thank you so much for joining the Vitalist Spark podcast. Thank you. According to the CDC, one in five Americans will experience mental illness in a given year. And more than 50% of us will be diagnosed with a mental illness or disorder at some point in our lifetime. If and when you or a loved one are experiencing a mental health challenge, remember that you're not alone. 988 is the new simple number 
to get people connected to the help they need during times of crisis. And outside of those times of crisis, you can always call 1-800-631-1314 to talk to someone. As Justin stated, Solari's team is available around the clock to listen, to understand, and to inspire hope. As always, many thanks to the team at Gordon C. James Public Relations and Rob Trigg at Star Worldwide Networks for production and sound design. Until next time, take care of yourselves and each other.